God's Word and turn this morning to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now Paul in this letter had been speaking to this church that he wanted to grow. He wanted them to experience maturity in Christ. He was hoping that day by day they would make advancement. And you know, you think about that in our lives today, that is the goal I think that God would have for us, that day by day, we're making advancement for the kingdom of God in our lives. And as he is writing to them, he's addressed all kinds of issues. He's pointed out those areas where they need to grow as a people and where he is wanting them to confront those imperfections, that sin, that those things that are making them stumble as a church. He's also spoken to them about issues of unity or disunity as, as they had seen faction after faction develop within the church there at Corinth. And now, as he has spoken about these different issues, as he is focused in this passage on the spiritual gifts and how those should be used for the unity of the church, he comes to this monumental moment of expressing to them the heart of what the church is supposed to be about, the the characteristic that is supposed to define the church and its people. And that characteristic, that trait, is love. 1 Corinthians 13, you've heard it before. You've probably heard it read at wedding after wedding after wedding, right? Because it has been encapsulated and it has been called the love chapter of the Scripture. And I want you, hopefully this morning, to appreciate the beauty of it, but also to appreciate the significance of Paul's word to that early church. Beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Do I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love? I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, may I say to you, even for a Mississippi boy, this is quite the language to be used. This is so... It is such a beautiful passage when you read it. When you, when you hear 1 Corinthians 13, it does just do something within you to, to think of the beauty and the grandeur of the passage. I love the way God took language and he used his people to communicate it in such a beautiful way. But when I look at these first few verses, I hope that I'm not overwhelmed simply by the beauty of it. You know, sometimes I think we can do that. I think we can go to the passages and we can begin to look at them and they sound so beautiful. Another one, the 23rd Psalm. I love the 23rd Psalm and the old King James in particular. Perhaps because that's the way I memorized it and I can't move from that in that old King James language. But I love the beauty of it. And it's okay to appreciate the beauty But somehow, I think we need to make sure that we are appreciating the significance of the passage as well. I told you that this passage comes in context of Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts. 
He's not talking about weddings, not to say that it's inappropriate to use this passage at weddings. Certainly that's fine. But he's not speaking about the marriage relationship here. Rather, he's talking about the church and how it relates to one another and how the spiritual gifts, as they operate for the kingdom of God, how they are bound together by this one characteristic of love. And really what he says in these first few verses is that love, you got to have it. You got to have it. What's love got to do with it? I mean, what's love got to do with the church? What's love got to do with the mission? What's love got to do with the ministry? It has everything to do with the mission. It has everything to do with the church. Love itself, you've got to have it if you're a part of the church. Look at the extraordinary statements that Paul makes here. I mean, these are extraordinary statements. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Think about those categories just a moment. Think how significant those gifts are to the local church. How significant those gifts, those gifts alone are to the local church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if I have this great language, I mean, I can speak of men, I can speak of angels. He said, I've got that great giftedness, he says. Even though I might have that, he says, and I don't have love in my heart, and I don't have love for my brothers and sisters, what does he say happens? What do you become? Nothing more, he says, than sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. How many of you would like to sign up for that kind of service, huh? Not even a melody. Not even a rhythm. Not e- you know, come on, give me a little bit. It says that it's as though I become just noise. Noise. You ever experienced noise? I was gone this week. For just a little while, I'll talk about it a little more in a moment. I was gone this week, got back in Thursday night, walked in my house. Noise. <laughs> now, I love my noise, I have named my noise. Each child has its, his or her own name, and I love them dearly. But no, I mean, it's just like noise. Nobody likes just noise. How many of you would like to come in this morning and I'd say to Landon, Landon, you know what? Just I just want you to bang as loud as you can on those. Just bang. I mean, you want to talk about tomorrow? We would not have time for prayer requests, but we'd have to read all those comments that you had turned in on that communication card about the noise that was in the sanctuary. I don't want to hear just noise. He says... You, you, you can speak with these tongues, and, and tongues of men and tongues of angels, and they, they may sound beautiful, or you may think they do. But in the end, it's nothing. It's nothing if it has not been done in love. Because you've got to have love. Look at verse 2. He had said the gift of prophecy. Now, Paul will elevate the gift of prophecy. If you read this letter... 
He has a great affection for the gift of prophecy, of foretelling, I think is what it means here, the gift of prophecy, of being able to tell God's Word to the people. That's really what I think prophecy of the New Testament is. It is coming and giving the Word of God to the people of God. And he says, this is an important gift. He's not trying to underestimate that gift in any way. It's important to the church's life. But he says, if I've got prophecy, if I've got that gift, and I can tell you all the mysteries, I mean, how many of us wouldn't want that kind of gift, huh? I have people all the time that ask me, Brother Reggie, how can you explain this? How can you explain that? And now in an almost a year's time, you'll know that I have some ignorance about me. You don't have to amen that. But there are days that I just simply can say, I don't know. Because I don't know all of the mysteries of God. But to think that I would have such a gift, that you could have such a gift. We could walk around and we could parade ourselves before other people. We could think of how great we are because we can understand the mysteries of God, the mysteries of heaven, and explain them. But he says... If you were to be gifted in such a way, in such a great, blessed way, and yet you have not love, you have nothing. Nothing. Well, then that third list, that third giftedness that he speaks about, he says, though I have all faith. Faith so that I could remove mountains. Faith so I could remove mountains. How tremendous of a gift would that be? Such trust and faith that you could speak to a mountain basically and move it. I mentioned I was gone this week. I was up in the Canadian Rockies suffering for the Lord. I spoke in chapel at the Southern Baptist Seminary that's there outside of Calgary. Spoke there on Wednesday. And I mean, the beauty of that landscape is breathtaking. Even if it's 30 degrees, it's still breathtaking. The beauty is. And you can see the mountain. I mean, do you? I had a deacon with me. I'm not going to mention his name, but he was with me. He couldn't speak to those mountains and bring them back to Louisiana. I wanted him to. I wanted to bring some of those mountains back to you, just for you, right? But he couldn't do that. But, oh, yeah, to have faith that can move mountains. Maybe before we had our deacon nominations, maybe we should uh, test a little bit of faith and see if they could even move Mount Driscoll. I mean, that would be something, right? (laughs) He says, if they had faith to move mountains, most of us would stand in awe of those kind of people. We would look at them and we would say, what great faith and what great trust and look how they are connected to God. And yet he says, even if they were to be able to do such miraculous events and they did not have love, They're nothing. And then he finishes with this spiritual gift of giving. He says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, I think actually if you look at the translations, it means something that 
even though I give my body in such a way to be sacrificed so that I can boast about it. He says, even if I do that, I'm nothing. Now, I'm thankful for the people that have that spiritual gift of giving. Not just in their resources, but in their lives. That they're willing to sacrifice themselves. It's wonderful. But he says, again, even if you were to go out and you were to feed the poor, the hungry, and take care of everybody, and yet you have not done it out of love, nothing. Nothing's a strong word, isn't it? Nothing. Shouldn't you get some points? Come on, Dr. Reggie. Can't, can't you get some points if, if I were to do all these th- great feats and great things? Paul says, it is nothing. And what he is trying to do is emphasize the necessity of love within the church, within its people, as it expresses its gifts It is to demonstrate it in love. These gifts obviously are not bad things. They're great things. But sometimes, and especially in the life of the church at Corinth, what has happened is that they have used their spiritual giftedness in such a way that they have paraded themselves about. They have neglected that very essence of love in their own lives. And you can do that as a church. We can do that as a church. We can find ourselves so busy in practicing our spiritual gifts and thinking that we've got everything together that we forget that at the heart of who we are and the heart of all ministry, we should find love. So you got to have it, he says. He says, you got to be it. you got to be it. And he gives you a description of what love is. Look in verse 4. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. What a beautiful description of what true love is. Now, the word that is used for love here is that word that you've heard from the Greek, agape. Um, Different people have different takes on that word agape, but if you study that word, you'll note that it was a rare term used by the Greeks. Now, certainly they used it, but it was used rarely. And in the New Testament, it's as though that That word is given new content. That word is given new expression by believers. That it is a type of love that is committed, that is uniquely Christian, I believe. And here, this is the love that is described for us. Love is patient and is kind. I mean, I know that sounds so elementary. But there are days that we need to be brought back to those elementary experiences we need to be reminded that at the heart of love is patience and kindness 
I really don't like it when we use our personalities as excuses, impediments to our Christian growth. I mean, there are some people that say, well, that's just kind of who I am. I just kind of have a rough exterior and this is just the way I... Every believer, listen to me, every believer ought to be noted for his or her patience and kindness. It is our responsibility. It is our character. It is who we are. Love, he says, is patient and is kind. Over the years, I have noted that those who are closest to us, those who are closest in relationship, that oftentimes, oftentimes we're not as kind to them as we are everybody else. Can we just admit that? I mean, most of you, when you came in this morning we would visit a little bit not many of you would have looked at that person that you saw sitting uh, maybe in the next section and said to him you know what I don't like you now there are a couple of you probably would do something like that but overall <laughs> why because you there's a measure of kindness that you want to extend and, and we see that Toward, our strang- toward strangers especially. But in the closest relationships, shouldn't those relationships be defined by true patience and kindness? If we're part of the believers and you're my brother and you're my sister in Christ, then shouldn't I demonstrate to you of all people patience and kindness? Now remember at the church at Corinth, what's happening? They're all in different factions. They're they're divided. And somehow Paul says, hey, I, I don't care how many good gifts you have. I don't care what you're accomplishing for the kingdom. Do you not know at the base of your existence, you should be demonstrating kindness and patience to your brother and sister in Christ? Remember Jesus said that the world would know his disciples. By what? By the love that they had shown to one another. The kindness and the patience. He says love does not envy. It's not jealous of other individuals' success. Love does not parade itself. In other words, there's humility that's there. It's not puffed up. Living it with humility with one another, he says. In this church, obviously at Corinth... (laughs) They could use a good dose of humility. But to be honest, there are days in our lives that we could use a good dose as well. Humility. Humbling ourselves. Not parading ourselves. Not going around and saying, Oh, note the spiritual gifts that I have. May I put them on display for you today? That is not what God intended. Is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Notice at the very heart of love is truth. 
Now see, this is a hard distinction to be made, especially in our society today, that you can love somebody and still hold the truth. But that's exactly what Paul says here. Sometimes we got to love them and love them unconditionally and love them. Yes, there is that kindness. There is that unconditional love. But that love is always based in truth as well. It does not rejoice in iniquity. It does not... It does not account for everybody else's issues and and problems and i I love the way as you you read through this it's as though sometimes we reckon to other people reckon to their accounts certain sins and certain things that we're all caught up with and we forget the basic idea of love and you know what we do is we just keep a list i think it's the niv that says that Love does not keep a list of the wrongs. Wives, did you hear that? Love does not keep a list. Rejoices in the truth. Recognizes the truth. The truth is a foundation of the existence. For us as believers... Yes, we love conditionally, but we affirm the truth of God. We can do that. The world says you can't, but you can. Jesus Christ did. The woman caught in adultery. He certainly brought forgiveness. But do you remember what he said to her when she left? (laughs) Go and sin no more. That's love and truth. And I think we can continue to do that. He says... That this is love that finds its root in the truth. And love, it is something that is permanent. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It doesn't mean that it falls for heresy or it falls for uh, deception. That's not when when he says believes all things. It doesn't mean he's so naive. It simply means that there's a hope that this love has. And, And this love is something that will endure it is recognizing that there is something that is better and it perseveres. That's what love is. And maybe this is where it certainly applicable for marriage. I say to you it's not in the context of marriage, but it is applicable to marriages. We need to know that love, that agape, that selfless love, It's what really endures and what calls us to persevere. You got to have it. You got to be it. And you got to keep it. Now, I'm not saying that you keep it on your own merit or energy. I want you to note what he says here. Verse 8, he says, love never fails. In other words, it's not going to come to an end. Get this. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. 
But when I became a man, I put away childish things. He says, again, note here, I've tried to mature in my understanding of who Christ is. I've tried to mature gracefully to know who he is. And as I've matured, I've recognized that it is love and that characteristic that will never fail. These other things will. All of these other spiritual gifts, they will fail simply because of their function. They will fail at some point. And notice it says that they will fail or they will end when the perfect has come, verse 10. Now, when I was in North Mississippi, I understood this. My preachers told me that verse 10 meant that all of the gifts ceased when the King James came because the King James Version was when the perfect came. Well, I certainly don't use the nearly inspired version. I don't still believe that this speaks of the King James. I don't think Paul had that in mind. There are some other brethren who would say, well, what he means is when the perfect comes, he's talking about when the canon has been totally complete, the old New Testament brought together, no more need of any kind of these gifts. Mm, It's not the way I see Paul saying that here. I would like to believe it personally, that's not the way I see that. When the perfect has come, in the, in the context of what is being said, I believe he's speaking about the return of Christ. He says when Christ comes and finally all of these things have been laid to rest and, and he has established his kingdom, he said the gifts will cease. And you can understand because you won't need those gifts in the kingdom. There will be no need for prophecy or knowledge or any of these things. Because the perfect has come. But he says, in the midst of all of that, what will endure? Love. Even when he speaks in verse 13, he says, And now by faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. How could love be greater than faith and hope? Because get this. When Jesus Christ comes back and he establishes kingdom, there's really no need for faith anymore because our eye will see. It will not just be our hope. It will not just be our, 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 our belief. It will be reality because we will see him face to face. Faith itself will no longer be needed. Hope it will no longer be needed because our hope will be realized in Jesus Christ. But love, love will remain. Love is what will continue. And Paul says, you got to keep it because you know that love will endure. Bears all things. He says in verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Corinth was known for the great big bronze mirrors that they would produce in that area. And they would look into that mirror and they believed in a sense, not that they were looking at something distorted, but that they were looking at something incomplete when they would look at their reflection. It it wasn't like they were looking at another person. They recognized that that was just incomplete when they were looking in that mirror. And he says, but then face to face, literally mouth to mouth, He says, literally, I will be looking somebody in the face. It won't be like I'm getting an incomplete vision. 
it would be like I'm looking at a person. And I'll have full knowledge. And one day when he comes, we will experience the full revelation of knowledge, but we will experience the, the full revelation of love itself because it will continue. I heard a story about a young boy that used to deliver newspapers. He would ride his bike every week, every day, down the sidewalks of this little town. Every day he would come around, he would pass by this toy store, and when he would pass by, he would stop for a moment. He would press his hands and his face up against the window and just look and just long for the toys. He just wished he could, just those little men and those soldiers, the and every day, the owner every day would note him there at the window peering in. Until about a week or so went by, the owner had not seen the young boy. Another week or so passed, and he went outside. And he began finding some of the folks on the street and people that he thought might know the young boy. He said, hey, have you heard from him? He used to come by my store all the time. He used to... He said, yeah. So we actually, um, we've heard that he was um, crossing the street in his bike, on his bike, and a car hit him. He's in the hospital at the local hospital. He's in a room, but he's been in a coma now for, for some time. The owner knew exactly what he'd do. He went into his little store, gathered up those soldiers and toys that were there in that window, he took them and... He placed them on that tray that just comes right above the bed, you know, in the hospital, and placed all of them there, spoke a little prayer for the boy, and, and left. A couple of days went by, and the young boy remarkably awoke. And the first things he saw those little toys those little soldiers and he grabbed them and he <laughs> he brought them to himself and he said to his mama he said mama mama look no glass no glass and friends one of these days for those of us that are just looking dimly through a window or through a light. One of these days, the glass will be removed and we will know the true revelation of knowledge and we will know the true revelation of love and we will experience it for all eternity. Because God loved you so much and he loved me so much that he gave his only son to die for us on the cross of Calvary. And that if we come to faith in him and trust him, that as we enter into that relationship with him, that love, we will experience it for all eternity and with others. Dr. Wayne Barnes used to stand, my pastor emeritus at one time, would stand at funerals and he said, you know, 
There's so many times we want to enjoy our relationships here. We want to spend more time with people. We want to go see people. We just don't seem to have the time. But one day, when God calls us to experience the perfection, this place called heaven, there will be no more restraints, but we'll be able to enjoy the love relationships that we've had. Until then... Until then, you got to have it now. You got to demonstrate love to your brothers and sisters in Christ, even as you express your spiritual giftedness. You got to be it. You got to live it. And you got to know how to keep it. As God works in your life, and He works in mine for eternity. Have you entered into that love relationship with Christ? Have you given yourself to him in faith, totality, surrendered? If not, I pray that you'd do that today. For those of you maybe just need to come and say, Hey, Lord, I just need a refreshment. I need once again to be reminded of the love that you have called me to demonstrate to others. Listen to him. Respond to him during this invitation. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that now you would speak. I pray now that you would convict. I pray now that we would feel here in this place the warmth of your arms around us as we experience your love and as we demonstrate it to others. God, speak to those that need to come this morning. Give them courage and confidence. And help us always to follow you fully. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand this morning?